Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Head Games Podcast. I am your host, Brian Gottlieb. Here with me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Jonathan Carter. Hello, Jonathan. How are you doing this week? I'm great. What's up? Same old, same old. Just more head games to play. <laughs> Want to check in on last week's episode to start off, as always. We had a very successful episode, I think. We talked a bunch about imposter syndrome, and I'm hearing a lot of resonance with people around my life, people on the internet. Really feels like we hit a nerve. But one particular piece of advice we gave seemed to resonate much more than any other. And Jonathan, I want you to talk about that piece of advice because I think it's so important and I really want to get our message out there as far as this goes. Yeah, I've had a few people reach out to me either in private messages or just some form of contact and uh, just to ask about at the end of the episode, I was very clear that again, what what my scope is and the importance of looking for help if you need it. And so I just wanted to give a couple of resources if any of the stuff you, you hear us talk about makes you realize that it would benefit you to talk to somebody professionally or even just, just on a phone call. And so one resource that I often recommend is if you go to Psychology Today's website, just Google Psychology Today Counselor Directory. Um, they have a massive directory of counselors, therapists, every type of differentiation of that um, field. You can search by zip code. You can search by the topic you want to talk about. You can look for a generalist. And I have friends and family who have used this. You can message the therapist, get an idea for what their personality is, see if there's a good fit, and find someone who will like their job is to is to listen to people and get them help. That's a good resource. And then additionally, there is a national suicide hotline. And it's a suicide hotline, but it's really just a group of professionals who are very well trained to provide 24 hours, tw- yeah, 24 hour conversations, talk to anyone who thinks they need somebody to talk to. That number is 1-800-273-273. 8255. It's 24 hours a day. And I mean, like we said in the last episode, there's absolutely nothing wrong with reaching out for help when you need it. We do it for everything else in our in our life and in our body. So if your brain needs help, if your mind needs help, I mean, these people do it every single day. Yeah. I can't emphasize how important this is. If you need help, please, please seek it. Jonathan and I are here to discuss, to do what we can to better your competitive lives, but things go far beyond that sometimes. And I always want to make sure people are aware of these resources. We'll put links to both the website and and we'll have the copy of the phone number in the show notes here. If you're looking for any help or assistance, definitely recommend you contact those two resources. On a little bit brighter note, Jonathan, you had the chance to talk to some fans this weekend, right? You were at a magic tournament and, and got to finally interact with some of the people out there listening to head games. Yeah, I did. My my middling record aside, uh, so in Magic, people often sleep put sleep protective sleeves over their cards so that they don't get damaged. It's everyone does it, uh, and so the the sister podcast of this, the game podcast, the the one that's dedicated towards competitive Magic, has sleeves, and so my my deck said the game podcast on it all weekend, and so I had people either recognize those sleeves. <laughs> I had a few people recognize my voice, maybe when they heard myself. I like introduce myself as Jonathan to my opponents. 
tons of great feedback about the show. Um, really awesome to just hear how widespread it is because while this tournament was near my home in Virginia, I mean, it was people from all across the country, all across the world. And so it was just really cool to hear that type of outreach. Um, some other people hadn't heard of it. And so once I told them about it, they're like, oh, that's really cool. I do other things. I play tennis or I play like League of Legends. And it's just really neat to hear people that want to listen to us talk every week. It's it's so humbling, right? Like yeah. people take the time to listen to what we have to say. I, I'm eternally grateful. So thank you everyone who's listened to us thus far, supporting us thus far. And I'm glad you got the opportunity to get out and, and meet some fans, Jonathan. That's really cool. But enough about last week. I think it's time to get into this week's topic. Chosen once again by our listeners over at our Twitter page. You can follow us at Head Games Podcast if you'd like to participate in future Twitter polls. And this one was close. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to have a stake in what we're talking about on a week to week basis, definitely recommend participating in these polls because this was a squeaker for a very long time. Finally, though, we settled in on a topic. And the topic we are discussing this week is motivation, finding motivation, capturing motivation, getting past procrastination, all these things that tie into motivation we want to talk about this week. So as we often do, let's start with Jonathan's introduction to motivation. Give us a broad sense about how psychologically we are, as humans, finding our motivation to undertake tasks. Yeah, there's a lot of theories, a lot of written stuff about human motivation, trying to understand why the heck does our brain, our mind want to do what it does. So two folks by the last names, Ryan and DC, and I never know if I say DC right, it's D-E-C-I. They're they're responsible for self-determination theory. And to boil it down to just a couple nuts and bolts, they propose that humans are naturally motivated to seek out autonomy. So being able to have some agency, some decisions on what it is you do. Competence, so being good at the stuff you do. And relatedness, just having a connection with other people. And so they say that everything we do comes down to filling those three desires, just being good at stuff, having our own ability to make decisions, and connecting with others. So that being the basis for everything we do, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that anytime we are under this theory anyway, anytime we are inspired to complete a task, we're led to believe it's in furtherance of one of those goals. Is that a correct assumption? Yeah, oftentimes autonomy. So we tend to want to do stuff that we want to do. And I think if you look at kids, they're perhaps the best example of this, they don't want to do homework or chores or, or eat their vegetables because this stuff's not fun. But if you put a kid on a playground, like, like what do they tend to do? Play. Yeah. And you have to tell them, <laughs> down. you have to be like, Hey, there's this, this awesome jungle gym over there. You're supposed to go over there and have fun on it. No, they, they just do it. They just do it naturally. And, and there's all sorts of stuff in life that we all do for fun. So, Oftentimes, I'm sure you, I'm sure our listeners have heard the term intrinsic motivation. And I think a lot of people describe it as this motivation that comes from within versus other motivation doesn't. And that's not wrong. But more specifically, what what we're saying is that the motivation comes from within what you're doing. And so for that kid on the playground, just being on the playground is motivating. It's fun. 
they don't need to pull from any other source. Like they're, they're just going to do it. They're going to play. I, I remember like, just think back to being a kid, like it's freezing out. You're not dressed properly for whatever the weather is. And it doesn't matter. Like you're just going to keep going because you're enjoying it. Right. Nothing can stop a kid from playing. No logic, no factors, yeah. nothing like the weather or anything like that. Injury, they don't care. They're no. going to play no matter what. Like it would snow in New York. We'd have like feet of snow and you'd be outside in like a t-shirt and and you would do that until like a jacket was forced on you because just playing in feet of snow was very fun. So I have to assume, I mean, based on this description of intrinsic motivation, that's not where a lot of the kind of treatment or help with motivation is really coming into play. It, it just seems like when things are intrinsically motivating, that's not the type of thing that we're struggling with or, or trying to force ourselves to do. It should just come naturally. Yeah. And I think over time, things we do can become more naturally motivating. But if I had the ability to just like snap my fingers and and say, boom, <laughs> whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, doing it is now fun, go forth and conquer. I'd probably make a good amount of money off of that, but but it's, it's not that easy. You can't just like make something fun. So I have to think that one of the issues with motivation, and we're again talking in the competitive context, so we're probably talking about something like practice mm-hmm. or playtesting or a task that's in furtherance of a greater goal is, is how I'm often thinking about this stuff. I, I have to assume that when there's an issue at finding motivation, a lot of times things are misdiagnosed and we're treating something as if it's something we should have intrinsic motivation to do. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if, if I believe I am a dedicated Magic the Gathering player. And I believe it's my destiny to play at the highest level and to play on the Pro Tour and to find success. And and those are the things that are most important to me. Then it seems like I should have intrinsic motivation to do the playtesting, to do the work because I love magic so much. I feel like a lot of times though, people are just misinterpreting their motivations and, and taking on this task and believing it they're intrinsically motivated when in fact they might be looking much more at external factors and not realizing it. Yeah, all all the above. I think I think you're right part of it might just be people don't know what it is they're actually striving for. And so they think they know what their their destination is, like where they want to go, but maybe that's wrong. I think other times just the work you have to put in to achieve greatness part of it isn't fun. If, if you just boil it down to the, to the nuts and bolts, like running for the sake of running is, is one of my least favorite athletic endeavors. I will not voluntarily, and I, and I know you enjoy running, so power to you, enjoy your running, but like you will not find me just running to run. Whereas if there's some form of sprint or drill that makes me better at a certain sport, like when I was playing lacrosse, or if I'm practicing skating for hockey, like I see that as a, a, a means to being a better athlete. Like that's way more motivating for me. But like running for the sake of run, I, I just don't understand it. I don't know how you, how you folks do it. Well, it's really funny to hear you mention that because I'm thinking about my relationship with running and, and how it's kind of changed over time. So initially, my desire to run was entirely like external motivation, like wanting to lose weight, wanting to be in better shape be able to be better at the other sports I was playing, just like a general, I want a greater level of fitness type thing. 
at some point, and I ca- I cannot pinpoint exactly when this happened because I think I used to be in your camp, like just hated running, and I was I was also a fat kid growing up. Like I when I graduated high school, I was well over three hundred pounds, and so like the mile run was the bane of my existence, <laughs> and any kind of running at football practice was like, oh, come on, do we really have to do this mm-hmm. again? So definitely hated running as a youth, but at some point in my life, I became, I think, intrinsically motivated to run. It was just like this joy of being away from all other distractions and being alone with my thoughts for a little while and having that kind of physical exertion to really, I mean, I feel alive when I run. That's Mm -hmm. the only way I can explain it. I feel like I'm testing my body. I feel like I'm engaging much more of my potential as a animal almost. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I don't, I I can't think of a better way to explain it. It just feels like I'm using my resources much more fully than I would sitting at a desk and playing video games, which I also love and do all the time. But there's something about having that dichotomy and finding both sides of the coin that really appeals to me. Again, I think intrinsically. Yeah. I imagine when you're running, you perhaps like lose sense of time. You maybe you go out for your run and then you're like back home and like sometimes that just like happens automatically and yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And so uh, there's this concept called flow. She sent me high, which I, I can't spell for you, but it is the person who's like the, the big name in flow. Uh, they talk about like what it's like when someone has that flow state or they're in the zone when they're just doing something and time stands still, they are doing it automatically. It, it tends to be a, a higher or higher feeling performance that tends to line up with activities that we do connect with intrinsically. And so I imagine that's where you've gotten to when you're running because you're past the barrier of this is not like, this is painful. I don't want to do this. And now it's just this activity that you've found other aspects of it that are, are super enjoyable. Is this something that as competitors, we should be actively trying to achieve with our endeavors? Is it important to find a way? And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about extrinsic motivations as we move on. But obviously, you know, two sides of a coin, you can't talk intrinsic without extrinsic. Is it important to find a way to move tasks that you were previously doing under extrinsic motivation to tasks that you're doing under intrinsic motivation? And is that something that you've ever, you know, consciously sought to instill in people you've been coaching? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And there's, there's like research that talks about the opposite. So what happens if if we were to take Brian lover of running and then introduce like a reward for it? So like every time you went out to run, you came back and you got like a cookie and I'm just using like cookie in parentheses, but just like something rewarding. Great example. I love cookies. (laughs) So you nailed it. So now it's like you're, Initially, I mean, you're loving running, but maybe after a few times, you're like, oh, if I finish this run, (laughs) I'm going to get a cookie. There have been some studies that find that reintroducing an extrinsic reward to something that people are naturally motivated to do actually cheapens that motivation and like can eradicate it. And I think if you look at pro sports, we see this sometimes. So if you see people that play sports professionally, You have to imagine at some point in their life, they were a kid 
that just loved that sport. So if you think of like the NFL, I would imagine all of them at some point just loved playing football. But then you think about, I mean, right around this time of year, when we get back to like contract disputes, how many people who are professional athletes are then more worried about like the extra million dollars they're getting every year than about just like playing the natural sport and take all like, yeah, I got to get a deal with medical stuff and all that after it. But, but the, the game becomes way more about, you know, what am I getting to do this? Then who I just get to go out and, and play football. Right. Right. I, I mean, you mentioned it in the context of the major sports, but man, do I see that a lot in magic people who find themselves, you know, they, they've always treated magic as something fun to do, a hobby, and then they find some success and it starts this horrible spiral where they're just chasing more success and, and chasing more accolades and pro points and this, this never ending. And, and in magic, it's a money sink too, because <laughs> there's not a lot of money there. And you're, yeah. You're paying to travel all over the place. So you're, you're doing financial damage to yourself in the pursuit of all these achievements and I, I think that's what it is, is it's moving the intrinsic, I love playing magic to extrinsic. I need to find a way to shelter myself and feed myself via this game. And a lot of things change when the nature of the relationship changes. And I also want to go back to, you know, you're talking about studies where they introduce the cookie. One interesting thing for me is that for the longest time, I was a run tracker. You know, I used whatever app you want to use, Map mm. My Run, Nike Run Club, all that stuff. And, you know, checked my times and noted my improvement, how far I was going, all this stuff, all the metrics that anyone who listens to this cast and is a runner is probably familiar mm. with at this point. I stopped doing that probably, I want to say four months ago now. It's, it's been a while. Since I first moved to Seattle, I stopped doing it. I appreciate running so much more without all those metrics in the way. And it's not that I'm letting myself off the hook. I realize, again, this goes against one of our tenets of good practice, right? Because I'm not setting goals and I'm not moving the carrot anymore. But I am finding a much more deep-seated love of the task and more motivation. I don't feel bad when I go out on a day and you know it doesn't feel like I quite have it. But honestly, I don't know. I still ran for a long time. I, I don't know what my time was, but I felt a little off. You know, it didn't feel like I had my best, but I didn't punish myself for it because I didn't have that hard number to say, oh, look, you ran a nine minute mile today instead of a 30 or anything like that. You're also not trying to like compete in running, right? This that is, is true. Yeah, that is true. And so yeah. I think it's okay that you're not you know, abiding by these tenets of deliberate practice. And it, this came up a little bit with some people I talked about after that episode. I hope everyone knows we're not saying everything in your life needs to be deliberately practiced. Uh, this is only if you're looking for improvement. And yeah, I think what you're mentioning about running gets at this bizarre relationship. And I don't know if it's just an American thing, but I would say just people in general in 2018, the way that we handle fitness we just track everything. It's it's not just like we're, if we think back, I don't know, thousands of years, I don't think people went to the like gold's gym on a corner. They were just naturally active and that was enough. Mm -hmm. But now mm -hmm. it's like, I got to get my gym sesh in, got to cram a bunch of people into this like small room and like lift things up and down. And I need to do it in a measured way for, for a certain amount of time. And like measurement and all that is great if you're trying to compete, but 
if you're just trying to be healthy, like I think the way that you're talking about your relationship with running is, is way better. It's just, you have an active life and you don't need to like your Fitbit doesn't need to tell you that what you did was good enough. Right. I, I hate getting to sci-fi dystopian futuristic (laughs) stuff, but you know, as, as biometrics get more and more ubiquitous and pronounced and cheaper and easier to have present. I think this is a real concern for people to be conscious of. If you overwhelm yourself with tracking and recording and all all this feedback, to me, it feels like you're losing a little bit of the essence of the thing. And there's times for that tracking and feedback. Again, I, I think I'm differentiating between, you know, something I'm endeavoring to be world-class at and something that I'm trying to mm-hmm. do as part of my life. And that's a really important distinction too. And one that I wasn't making for a long time. It was just like, okay, if I'm going to be world-class at this thing, this is how I approach it. And you start getting it in your head. That that's how you should be approaching everything. Cause it does work. I mean, it, it gives you results. You'll see improvement. You'll achieve goals by being that kind of I don't know my personality types that well. It feels like type A personality, like being very uh, meticulous and controlling of all these variables will yield results. But in terms of natural motivation, in terms of happiness, in terms of success, uh, I don't know. I don't know that that's the best way to approach things. And obviously, it's going to be different for all types of people. I know me personally, I have found more motivation, a a clearer path towards intrinsic motivation by simplifying a little bit. Yeah. And I think it, it is a process too. Like if someone's listening and they, they aspire to get to this level of, and again, I don't know why, but they want to just run for for fun. (laughs) Um, You're very unlikely to wake up tomorrow, try how Brian currently runs and then have that snap be a habit that's just going to perpetuate itself. Like there, there is this step where you need to put in a place, a system that builds a habit. So you need to figure out what days you're going to the gym or you're going for a run and how long you're going. And then eventually you get to this place where you just enjoy it and you just go. We're not at all saying like, man, if you track, you going to the gym, you're bad. And, and all. no, no, no. Like if you're doing that for a goal, that makes a ton of sense. But eventually these habits can become something that's just naturally motivating. Right, right. And, and maybe this is a good time to transition to talking a little bit more about extrinsic motivators and the difference between them and intrinsic motivators. Sure. There's a whole spectrum of them they range from something outside of ourselves so like the aforementioned cookie or money or just any type of reward given to us is like at the very 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 external end of these things like there are instruments the research would say that that provide us that motivation punishment also fits into that too so if we're doing something to avoid something bad happening that's also a, a very, very, very external type of this extrinsic motivation. And then there's there's like a whole gradient where like the most internal version of this is doing something because it aligns with what we value. And so that's still outside of what we're doing. So if we take running as an example, doing running for fun 
and it just naturally being fun. That's intrinsically motivating. But I could also run because I really value health, health and fitness. And I know that people who have regular aerobic activity tend to be healthier. And so it's not that I'm enjoying running, but I see running as a way for me to demonstrate this value of health. And that feels closer to intrinsic, right? I mean, that, yeah. that's what you're saying is that as you move across the spectrum of external motivators, they're getting much closer to being internal motivators. Yeah, it's, a, it's about as close of an approximation as we can get. Like eventually it's possible that activities just become fun. But I just think of like my own relationship with the gym. I do enjoy being fit. I do enjoy sports, but there are definitely days like everyone else where I get home from work, it's time to go to the gym and it is not motivating. (laughs) But I've mentioned in previous episodes that part of what I live by is, is being authentic and being honest. And my job is quite literally telling people ways to excel and perform at their best. And so for me, it feels very disingenuous if I'm preaching the good word of, of high performance and I'm not taking steps to, to at least get myself anywhere near that. And so when there's days where I don't feel like going to the gym, it's a lot easier because I connect to the gym with just my own authenticity. So would you say this is, okay, I'm going to put you in a position where you're trying to help someone who they come to you, they say, I just can't find my motivation to do this task. This task is important to me, but I can't get myself to begin doing it. Are you trying to get them to a place where they can find a way to align their values with this task? Like, is it, is it really understanding what motivates you as a core person that lets you find motivation for individual discrete tasks? Yeah, it's more the core person. And with this, I am not trying to say rewards, punishments, all that stuff doesn't work. In fact, it's great. And I, and I think that it's often a stepping stone to finding this other type of motivation. And I think there's also- Does it work less? Does it work? I mean, is there any like research done that says, you know, the further along on the spectrum of extrinsic motivators, the less results you get from that type of motivator? Yeah, it's not so much less, but if you think about it, if we're relying on something or someone else to motivate us, then that requires that something or someone else to be there. Whereas if we just move towards the value end of the spectrum, that comes from us and we're always there- I imagine when we're, we're trying to do whatever we're, we're looking to achieve. So just in terms of longevity and self-sustainment, it's a lot better to move towards that end. But like paychecks work, cookies work, punishment works as a deterrent. So it, it's not saying getting rid of those. And, and it's also not one or the other. Like we can have both. Right. I can figure out what value drives me to live a healthy life. And then I can have like a day where I reward myself with a piece of cake. And that feels good. And then as long as that's not a habit, it's not really sabotaging my other my other goal, but it felt good. So in terms of moving someone towards that, yeah, I, if the goal is not necessarily to figure out like, okay, here's my goal. What would get a person theoretically to value this? It would be, you know, Brian, what makes you tick? When you wake up in the morning, what are the few things that like guide your life and what's the life you're trying to live And then if you can figure out the answer to that, like I mentioned, authenticity is one of my driving principles. 
Like if I can bring that part of me to what it is I'm doing, it's motivating. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I can call back to my own experience with diet. And there's been kind of two major changes in my diet over my life. One is, like I said, I used to be very heavy. At some point, I realized that that wasn't allowing me to be the person I wanted to be. It made me uncomfortable. It made me unwilling to you know, seek to form new relationships. It made me unable to participate in sports to the degree I wanted to. And finding those kind of ties to who I wanted to be made it easier to address and eat healthier, which is something that, look, I'm still not perfect at, but certainly from where I was, I have improved over time. But the other diet change, which I have been perfect about since I undertook it, is being a vegetarian. And that came very much from a place of like my core values and compassion for animals is a huge core value for me. It's incredibly important Mm. and not just animals, but people as well. Definitely one of the tenets I try and live my life by. And it felt like by not being a vegetarian, I was living all of my days in defiance of who I actually was, but you know, completely against my principles. And so in the times where that's been a trying change, because I mean, it's a, it's a difficult change to totally restructure your life. So much of our lives is built around, you know, consumption of meat and use of animal products and all those things. And taking steps to address that was challenging. It was, it was dramatic. But the thing I always focused on was how much it meant to me that I was able to be true to my principles. And that's been a big point of success with a lot of the things I've accomplished is just making sure they're in line with my overall overarching values, I would say. Yeah. So, so with the vegetarian switch, it's like you saw what you wanted, like what the life is that you wanted to live and you just figured out how to get from point A to point B. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. And I mean, difficult to be sure, but ultimately truer to myself. And that was the the main guiding star. Yeah. I imagine in that there was likely conversations with friends, loved ones, just like, I I imagine the social dynamic of making a a diet change like that is not small. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is different. I mean, it changes. It's, it's something that I try to internalize to the degree I can. I, it's not something I try and actively change people's minds on. It's something that's Mm -hmm. important to me, but I don't, I think people need to be free to make their own choices. And if it's not important to you, I respect that. That's that's fine. So I, I try and internalize a lot of it, but still when you're going to a barbecue at your friend's house and you're bringing <laughs> like fake sausages with you, it's pretty obvious that something has changed and the dynamics are different. And I think too, there's like, it's something that I don't care for, but there's this weird, like over embrace of eating too much meat. Like it's cool to put 30 slices of bacon on something. You know what I mean? Like this, yeah. this really weird thing that's developed in the past few years it seems to have risen with the internet uh, like the turducken whole right, thing, like putting right. yeah it, i mean it's just kind of silly but w- whatever it's part of the culture now so stepping away from that culture and being different it draws eyes you're right there's social dynamics to it mm-hmm. when i hear people or like people talk to me about making changes like this whether it's uh, i think completely switching your diet to vegetarian i'm sure for you now seems like pretty small but like for me that would be way different like I like to pose the question of does the life I'm living right now have room for the life that I'm trying to to live? And and by that I mean like for you clearly 
you had social support, you had the means to purchase the right food, you probably had some motivation to, I, I, I gather you have to cook for yourself a bit more when you have that type of diet. And so likely at least a good portion of the life you were living was tweakable so that you could become a vegetarian. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. And I see what you're getting at here because oftentimes I think we we want to make dramatic changes, right? We want to eat better. We want to exercise more. We want to be a different person that's more in line with who we are. But in kind of grabbing this huge overarching goal, we lose sight of all the difficulties that come with it. And you know, sometimes making what seems like a core change requires you to build up your foundations completely different. Like, you know, maybe you've decided that being a top level League of Legends player means everything to you, but you're working a nine to five job. And please don't take this as an endorsement of you should quit your job to pursue <laughs> League of Legends. But please don't. But listen very carefully. If this is who you are, if you are possessed of absolute certainty that this is what I need to do. This is what my life is meant to be built around. And, and this is any kind of endeavor, a musician, an actor, all of these things. You you can't get there without restructuring your life in some ways to make room for the goals that matter. And that's scary. That's super scary. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I felt it when I went to law school because I, was, I wasn't in a stable financial situation at the time. I wasn't you know, struggling meal to meal, but I didn't have a large surplus of money in the bank that I could just stop working and focus on, you know, my legal pursuits and that's why I went to a law school that was in the town I was already living in where I knew I could keep a job was it the best law school I could have went to absolutely not not even close but I had to kind of restructure my life around these new goals I had um and so that meant being able to make as much money in, as possible and as little time as possible that required me to bartend and you need to be well-established in your area to get the best bartending jobs. And I, I just didn't have the resources to kind of restructure everything. And being honest about that gave me a good foundation on which to build change and to you know find success academically. And I think it, it just applies to all of these different types of endeavors that if you're going to take on these things, you need to structure your life in such a way while still maintaining what's important to you. This isn't throw away all relationships, throw away all this other stuff. It's about maintaining carefully and restructuring in a way that you can actually realistically achieve your goals. Yeah. And the realistically is the key part of just everything you're describing. Mm -hmm. Like I imagine when you were working for a big law firm, you worked insane hours, right? Yes. Yeah. So if, if you're in the, that portion of your life and suddenly you decide that you want to compete at the highest level of anything, or even just get in the peak shape of your life, just any endeavor that's going to take a lot of hours when trying to make that life change, look at your day and realize if you're working 18 hours, you're a, you're like a creature that has to sleep, that it's just not sustainable. Yeah. And I think a lot of times when people try to make these drastic changes, like diet's the easiest one to think of for me because I think a lot of times people go on like these cleanses or they just make a massive, massive, massive diet change that's completely different to anything they've been doing. Like maybe they never cook and suddenly they're trying to have perfectly planned meals, whatever it is. Like people just go zero to a hundred instead of 
thinking about like what are the actual steps to take and maybe even more importantly, what are the obstacles that are going to get in my way? If I'm trying to make this change, how many hours is that going to take? What are my work hours? Do I have a supportive significant other or friends? Do I have the finances? Like there's all these potential obstacles that get in the way of, of what we're trying to do. And that doesn't mean don't make these changes. It just means be realistic with what you're trying to achieve and how quickly it's going to happen. It's, it's okay to take small steps towards a, an eventual goal. You're not going to just complete everything overnight. Right. I, I think this is, I think we've already done it to some extent, but this is a good spot to transition to the part of the cast where I give you the impossible task of <laughs> fixing all of our motivation problems. I think this discussion, just laying out how ma- motivation works, how we've found success, how we've found motivation to take on these kind of larger undertakings. I think it's important. I think you can take a lot from it. But why don't you try and distill that down to some nice clean bullet points that we can put up there on our our PowerPoint presentation and and really give, uh, you know, just a bite-sized takeaway that our listeners can put into immediate effect after this episode. Bite-sized is a good good description for it because I think one of the easiest things in massive quotations, because I recognize a lot of change is difficult, is just take small steps. So think of even so 20 in the 24 hours from when you listen to this, what is one thing you can do towards any of the goals you're looking to achieve? And so it, it could be as simple as if you're trying to get back to the gym, look up the five closest gyms to where you live and see which would be like easiest for you to go to. A lot of times if we just take that first step, it breaks the inertia, you know, which is physics for object at rest, stays at rest, yada, 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 yada. Well, we have that with, with goals. So sometimes even just taking a really, really, really small step gets us going that, that direction. And so like my wife does a ton of cosplay. Uh, she's very talented at making her own costumes and she'll, get these ideas for what it is she wants to make as her next one. And then there'll be like numerous nights in a row sometimes where she just like doesn't do work on it. But in those nights, she's found that something that gets her going is if she just looks up a new technique in sewing or, or like with craft home or something like that, that she's going to try. And just the, the act of researching that for 10 minutes often inspires her to, to try it out. And then when she tries it out, well, she's already going and then she works for a couple hours. Yeah, I think that's an awesome approach and also a really nice approach for another huge issue I have, which is procrastination. Mm. I don't remember where I read it. it. It was probably based on some kind of garbage psychology and just made for internet pop bites that you could just grab real quick. But somewhere I came across the advice of how do you stop procrastination? And the answer was do anything. And it's like, oh, wait, yeah, that's actually a really obvious solution. (laughs) You're not procrastinating if you're accomplishing anything. But I mean, when I'm thinking of writing an article or, you know, having to do an assignment back when I was in law school, the physical act of opening the Word document and putting a title on it was in some ways the most difficult thing for me to do. Mm Mm-hmm just having that page open. And then I find that if I have the Word document open on one of my monitors, 
at home and I'm in my office just doing something else completely unrelated and I see the open document, I might walk over and type out a line here or there and it just gets the ball rolling. And then when I find an idea that really captures me, it pushes me to another idea. And before you know it, the entire task is done. Now, that's not to say I don't still have huge issues with procrastination because I absolutely do. But this idea that I just need to do something has definitely helped. It hasn't fixed the problem, but it's helped. And again, when you're talking about taking small steps, part of the part of the way to deal with that procrastination problem is helping along that issue, finding little bits that you can do better and better. And while I still may have a procrastination problem to this day, I am better than I was five years ago or 10 years ago or you know, maybe 15 years ago when I was in college and I'd just be like, eh, I'm not going to do this <laughs> and just completely give up on it. So, right. so things have gotten better over time. They're still problematic, but uh, there's definitely motivation for me to continue to improve based on what I've seen from myself in recent times. It's, it's well, better than it used to be. And, and doing the small things is satisfying. Like sure. I admittedly sometimes will make a checklist or like to-do list of stuff I need to do. And if it's if I didn't do it at the very beginning of the day, I'll write stuff down that I already did that day and cross it off. Mm-hmm. And it feels good. <laughs> like, yeah. hey, look what I already did today. Man, I'm, uh, I'm achieving things. And part of that too, I was reading, I think they took a look at senior executives. So like Fortune 500 crew, uh, just high level executives. And they asked them, like, what are the strategies you use when you find that you can't take the first step to getting something done? And what you mentioned was one of them. People just do something and, and sometimes not even related to what it is they're trying to achieve. But if they just get their se- themselves up and doing anything, hmm. maybe while they're like, maybe they have a, a work deadline, but their idea is like, well, you, I'm up, uh, I'm going to go to the gym. And then maybe when they're running on a treadmill, they think about, well, how am I going to tackle this other thing at work? For some reason, just doing anything gets our, our brain going. Yep. The, the other camp just put deadlines on things. So I need to get this done by this time on this date. And then if they got to that time and date and it wasn't done, that felt like punishment. And that's motivating for people too. just committing to a time and date and just doing something by then. Right. I could see that having the exact same type of effect. Just this part has to be done by now. Uh, There's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's going to get done. Right. So for everyone listening, think of whatever it is you're trying to achieve Think of one small thing that'll get you moving towards that destination and your deadline is 24 hours from now. Awesome. I think that's a very actionable thing. One more thing, and all of my suggestions always have to be approved by Jonathan. So I will (laughs) offer this suggestion first. And Jonathan, if you think it's something that might be useful, you can either endorse it or you can say, Brian, you are out of your mind. Okay. I, I think it might be very useful if you're finding yourself just, just, difficulties with motivation. You can't get yourself to do this thing that you think is very important to you. I think it's a nice time right now to stop and take inventory of kind of your personal hallmarks, what you consider your core values, the way Jonathan has talked about his core values, the way I've talked about my core values. Take stock of them right now. And I don't think it's something we do very often. Like how Mm. often do we sit down and say, what comprises me? What makes me who I am? How do I choose to live my life? What tenants are guiding me along this, this journey? I think taking some time to do that right now can have 
immediate, immediate impacts. When you see where your values actually align, it'll lead you to start questioning everything. Like, well, if I feel so strongly about this thing, why aren't I doing more to achieve it? Why am I ignoring this core value on a day-to-day basis? Uh, and you might find you you get a lot of motiv- motivation for the things you do. And also, it kind of gives you the chance to break away from some stuff that Maybe you've been telling yourself is important for a long time, but when you get down to your core values, it doesn't actually matter to you. Veto. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah. I think it's important to think about, are you living the life you want to live is one way I like to think about it. And so if you just think about on a daily basis, what are two, three, five guiding principles, so to speak, that you, you want to be? And so for me, I know that I really want to be honest and authentic. I very much value my family and close loved ones. And if I can't be playful or humorous or just have fun doing stuff, uh, I'm a lot less motivated to do it. And if if every day I get to figure out how what I'm doing connects to that stuff, it's a lot easier to do it. And if I can throw competition into something, we're good to go. And so for you, just think about what are those things for you? What What is it that keeps you going? What is it that represents the person you want to be? I'm glad I made it past your veto. <laughs> you did. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm always concerned when I'm putting myself out there and, and offering advice, but this is just stuff that's worked for me. And I, I want to share it with people and, and hope that you can find the same type of success that I've occasionally find. And don't get me wrong, I've had my share of failures and times where motivation is not forthcoming without question. But in my most productive times, I think these are the techniques I often lean on. uh, And I I hope all of our listeners are able to do the same. So I think that about does it for this week's episode. We are going to be back next week with a brand new show format. And I'm super excited to have you guys hear this format. I'm not going to spoil it yet. You're going to have to tune in next week when we come back to play some more head games. Head games.